Our approach to mental health is very much a rational one. And probably everyone will agree with that. We don't see anything wrong with that. We see it as being perfectly fitting. It isn't um, perfectly fitting though. It actually introduces a huge amount of misunderstanding and confusion. And it puts us off down the wrong track. So the intellectual, rational approach to mental health is pretty much of a disaster, really. And not many people will agree with that. And it's also hard to explain the gist of the argument that um, the intellectual approach to mental health is so completely the wrong man for the job. It's hard to argue because we're addressing our arguments to the rational mind and that's just not going to work. It's just not going to go down very well. But notwithstanding, and nevertheless, it's worth trying to make a case for the inapplicability of rationality to mental health. And we can try and make that case by talking a little bit about consciousness. And saying that on the one hand we've got um, con consciousness, which is at the core of everything. That is pretty much what it means to be a human being is to be conscious not to think, never mind what Descartes may have said. And on the other hand, we've got the thinking mind, which is kind of like a little contraption. It's a little box that does certain things. And what it does do is it does very well. And what it can't do, it doesn't even know that it can't do it. Now, it shouldn't really matter because the thinking mind doesn't need to know what it cannot do. It just needs to do what it can do. We could say the same thing to a about a, um, a shovel. And we could say that a shovel doesn't need to know about all the things it can't do. It really doesn't need to know that. All it needs to know is how to do the things that it can do. And that's exactly the case with shovels. They don't worry about what they can't do. And generally speaking, we don't <clears throat> try to use shovels for what they can't do. We're not that silly. We use shovels for digging. <clears throat> we don't use shovels for other varied purposes, such as defining the meaning of life or sorting out 
um, the essential or existential dilemma of life or anything like that. We just use shovels for digging and no problem comes about as a result of that. And so it should be with the thinking mind. If we just use the thinking mind for what it can do, there would be no problem. But we don't. We use the thinking mind for doing things it really doesn't have a chance of doing. It's completely in inapplicable fields for it to be um, placed in. And understanding mental health is one of them because mental health has nothing to do with logic or rational logical relations between this element and that element. And we do in a way know this because if we think about someone <clears throat> we can make up someone and imagine someone who's super rational super in their head and they really don't get anything else but they're supremely given over to the rational faculty. And we can very easily imagine someone like that. We all have met people like that. We know that type of thing. So take that um, imaginary person who's super rational, but doesn't have any other faculties developed, which as I say, can very easily happen, often does happen. Maybe not too often, but it happens a lot. And then take that imaginary person and put them in the field of mental health and say, and then say, is this the right man for the job? Do they get it? Do they get what mental health is? Do they get what it's all about? And straight away we know that they don't. This imaginary person could be very, very good for certain things. But they'd be no good as a therapist. They'd be no good for understanding mental health or emotions or anything like that at all. We can't rationalise emotions, which everyone knows. But more than this, we can't rationalise the psyche. The psyche isn't a, a little box that does logical functions like the thinking mind. It's an altogether more peculiar and mysterious thing as we can tell from its output. Its output in the form of dreams. It does have other output. But just to give that the particular example of dreams, we know they're not that logical. We know where they're coming from <clears throat> isn't a, a box of logic, a logic box. We know that. We know what's in here is not logical. There's a little thing there which we can think of as a tiny little microchip and that corresponds to an anatomical region of the brain. It's like the it's like the executive center and it's very logical and it's good that we've got it. But that's only a very little part. It tends to get um, overvalued for sure but it is only a very little part <clears throat> and if it ever happens that the rational executive center gets too much 
control over everything else, <clears throat> then that's bad news. It's always inhibiting stuff and rationalizing stuff and overthinking stuff. We all know that that is bad news. Everyone knows that. One of the reasons <clears throat> drinking alcohol is popular because the first thing alcohol does is it nobles the executive center, the kind of um, the regulating center of the brain that regulates all the other regulating parts. <clears throat> the top of the regulating pyramid. It knocks it off and that feels a hell of a lot better because the damn thing it just edits us and represses us and regulates us. If it gets too much of a hold enough on us <clears throat> it takes all the good out of life, it takes all the fun out of life, all the humour out of life because it's a humourless kind of a thing. No one ever said the executive centre is a humorous, um, has humor as its strong point. And probably if you wanted to do research on all um, comedians and stand-up comedians and look to see whether <clears throat> they happen to be doing their comedy from the executive center and whether their executive center is hyper-developed as a result, I'm sure we'd very quickly find out that it isn't, it's coming from somewhere else. <clears throat> and that for the particular job of being a stand-up comedian, the executive centre is not needed. It's a killjoy. It's, it'll spoil the party. It's, it's dry. It's far too dry. And we know that. We really do know that. And that's why we like drinking, because it knocks off that um, old regulator. This isn't to say drinking alcohol is a good idea because it knocks off everything else then, but just before it knocks off everything else, it knocks off that inhibitory sector, section. So we can talk about the psyche and say, here's the psyche. It's kind of a thing, but it's not a machine. <clears throat> it's not a box of logical tricks. It's something else, a bit more mysterious. And that's a lot more mysterious than that. So if we want to understand mental health, we have to understand the psyche. Although I wouldn't say understand is the wrong word because certainly that means um, that we've dissected it and labelled it and evaluated it from the point of view of the rational mind. So understanding isn't necessarily a good word. Appreciate would be a better word, maybe we can. If you want to appreciate mental health, <clears throat> we don't appreciate it via the rational mind, because it has no appreciation for that kind of stuff. And instead of the psyche, we can talk about consciousness, as I did a little while ago. So consciousness is a thing that the rational mind likes to get excited about, likes to do research on it and explain it likes to say what it is, what happens, how, how does consciousness come about in the brain, what interesting process is it? You get a few brain cells and you rub them together and there's a spark of consciousness, how does that happen? Very, um, very, very interesting for the rational mind, which as I've said is a humorless killjoy. 
<clears throat> but the rational mind can never understand consciousness because of its in, inherent way of working. It is excluded from ever understanding consciousness. And the reason for that is that consciousness, we might say, is a flow or a becoming or a, or we might say it's radical, radical change or radical newness, which might seem like an awkward way of talking about it. But it isn't really because the fundamental nature of everything is radical change and radical newness. The repetition of regular units, regular elements, which we're so familiar with, is only a very small part of the total show. It's a part we're obsessed with. It's a part we build our world out of. It's a part that we identify with and build ourselves out of it but it is only a very small subsection of this big bubble of uniqueness, radical newness, something that is always new and can never be explained because it's reality. And reality is this big movement. As philosophers have said, and as some physicists have said as well, so when you're talking about an unbroken flow in which there are no there are no banks to the flow. So with a river, we can stand on the banks and look at the river flow. So we've got a fixed point of reference. We can measure the flow. <clears throat> we can talk about it. So that's change within a framework or change within a static context. But when we're talking about the universe and we're saying that the universe is flow, then there are no riverbanks to stand on. There's nothing to stand on. And there's no fixed, there's no fixed entity to stand on them anyway. So then you've got the river moving and the banks are moving and the trees are moving and the sheep on the fields are moving and it's all part of the flow. So that's a very different thing indeed because you can't say anything about it because we haven't got any platform to say anything about it from. And without a platform, we can just forget about saying things about anything because we need a platform for that. So when all the platforms become part of the flow and everything just melts into the flow, clearly, this is not something that the thinking mind is qualified to deal with. And so what we're saying is that <clears throat> our essential nature, just as <clears throat> the essential nature of the whole universe is this flow, this universal flux, or as David Bohm calls it, the hollow movement, the hollow movement. And so straight away we know we can't use a thinking mind to talk about it. And it's a very strange thing to consider that from focusing on psychology and looking at the 
our essential nature, which we're saying is consciousness, <clears throat> we immediately are looking at the same, looking at things in the same way that a physicist is looking at them when he talks about the whole universe, the universe as a whole, instead of the universe as we partition it, as we usually do. So even that, especially that, is this completely baffling and we, even that shows that we've lost our boxes. We can't put things in boxes anymore. We can't put psychology in one box and cosmology in another box and quantum physics in yet another box. All the boxes are gone. But nevertheless, we'll keep talking about it just for another few minutes in terms of as if we are talking psychologically and that we're interested in therapy. And so what we'll say is that the essence of ourselves is this flow, is this radical change. And when the thinking mind tries to understand it, it takes a snapshot. And that snapshot is like a freeze frame. But as soon as the thinking mind takes this freeze frame, this snapshot, that becomes like a, a piece of dead skin or a piece of paper or a piece of bark that floats off from the hole and floats onto this, floats off into this abstract realm of um, ideas and theories and stuff. So the process of theorizing or having ideas is the process of taking freeze frames of the flow and producing this static static membrane that then just kind of floats off and we can take as many static freeze frame pictures of, of the flow as we want and each one of them just ends up as a an abstraction an abstract picture so the mind is frantically doing this and if it really switches into um gear it really wants to understand the flow consciousness maybe it'll take millions and millions and millions of snapshots but that doesn't make any difference because having one of these snapshots tells us no more about the flow than having 10 trillion of them because they're all just um, abstract husks floating around like dead leaves they don't tell us anything about the flow at all because they have nothing in common with it the flow is the flow it's moving from an unknown origin to an unknown destination and the static freeze flame is freeze frame is a static freeze frame it's known but it's not moving as the flow is moving it's not part of reality it doesn't tell us about reality it's qualitatively different it's removed from reality so that tells us a little bit about or tells us a lot about why thinking about thinking isn't <laughs> isn't a useful tool when it comes to being aware of ourselves or um, pursuing 
um, discipline of psychology, which is essentially a reflective thing, not a thinking thing. And it tells us something else as well. It tells us, if we look into it a bit more, that this process of creating freeze frames of um, abstract, dry abstract realities, pseudo realities or pretending realities that actually have nothing to do with reality. This tells us a lot about human life and what happens in life, which is that essentially we get lost because thought is constantly proliferating and proliferating, as the Buddhists say, in creating these abstract realities, this samsara, and we're getting caught up in that. And because the abstract mind-created realities or constructs can't tell us anything about reality, and because more than that they prevent us from having any ability to relate to reality at all, this process of getting lost or going astray is a, a process of moving into suffering. As the Buddhists also say. So there is no solution to this suffering by analysing and thinking about things because that's going astray even more. And the way to be free from this unnecessary suffering of being disconnected from reality is through going against that entropic direction whereby we are taking pictures of realities and then taking pictures of the pictures of reality and then taking pictures of the picture of the picture and going off in an echo of an echo of, in an echo of an echo and getting further and further removed from anything real. So that's downstream and so moving towards the process of wholeness or healing or becoming mentally well again is going upstream and that's got nothing to do with the thinking process at all. Okay, thanks for watching.